When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Reversion, looking for everything. Middle of the field, picked off at the five yard line by Anthony Harris. To Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, former NFL quarterback, our journeyman correspondent, Sage Rosenfels here, and I've got a bunch of things to get to. I'm hoping that we can have some fun today as we await whatever the next move is for the Minnesota Vikings. But I want to start out with the Pioneer Press's report about Anthony Harris that the Vikings could decide to sign him to a long-term extension, which uh, Sage could be, I guess, interpreted two different ways. One way, directly, that they could be working on an extension, or in the other way, telling other teams, you know what, we'll do it, we'll keep them, we won't trade them to you unless you give us our price. So what is your thought on the possibility of uh, Anthony Harris signing a contract extension? You know that it's like it's we're we're talking sort of pure speculation here, like because we just don't know. Only a few people actually know exactly what's going on. Uh, I know they like him as a player. My guess is uh, with the Vikings trying to sign up or t- even talking about signing him to extension, maybe even uh, beginning those conversations with the agent and going, they might say, you know what, we love to have this guy for the next four or five years uh, or, or longer. Um, in this franchise, on this football team, and and let's just get it done. Let's just get it done, and and maybe Anthony will be happy, you know, with that offer. And it just seems to make the most sense. And so, you know, they're sort of slow playing this whole thing, and and I think uh, trying to sign him to an extension, starting somewhere, starting those conversations, uh, I think those are always good. And uh, I, I think Anthony would love to be back with this football team. He he, he played a great role uh, in it last year, and and was a very very good player. Uh, and you know played it up you know pro bowl you know style if if not better level at that free safety position and and it is known that it's having good safeties is huge and, and I know later on the show we're going to talk about Sean Taylor uh, you know of course guys like Ed Reed Palomalu having really good safeties is really really important and Harrison Smith is a very good safety but to have two would be great and because uh, if they don't 
you know, if they get rid of him and he goes somewhere else and they get some compensation, now you're hoping somebody else is going to fill in that spot. Right. Uh, where if you could sign him to some sort of extension, uh, you know what you have. And obviously the Vikings, you know, I'm sure they really like uh, what they have in Anthony Harris as a safety. Right. It's not about him as a player at all. It's about the situation that they've backed themselves into with the salary cap, which as of today, with no moves by the Vikings at this moment, uh, they are looking at, I'm pulling this up right now, uh, $12 million in salary cap space, 12485 And if they have plans to sign Delvin Cook to an extension, you're probably adding at least 5 to $7 million. You have to sign your draft class, which probably approaches $10 million. This is where it gets really tricky because then you have to do something else. If you sign Anthony Harris, then you have to trade Riley Reef or cut Riley Reef or cut ties with someone else or rework somebody else's contract, which might be Harrison Smith. And if you're Harrison Smith, I don't know how thrilled you are to change your contract uh, because they're trying to sign another safety. So, um, you know, it, it does become very difficult if that's what they're going to do. It is feasible to sign him to a contract that would have a low cap hit next year and then bigger cap hits as they go on but that's also how they've gotten themselves into trouble and if you're the vikings you do need to ask yourself the question how replaceable is the position next to harrison smith sage because they put in an undrafted free agent there in andrew sandejo he ends up working out and having a good nfl career they get anthony harrison there and he succeeds and has a pro bowl caliber season even though he didn't make it i mean you've well, got you've got a wonder a major about difference that. major difference by the way i see uh sandejo as a hitter right um, and not that Anthony Harris can't, you know, bring the wood every once in a while, but he's not as good a cover guy who can either cover some man to man or just sort of that, uh, you know, rangy free safety who has a knack for the football. Uh, Zendaya wasn't that nearly as much as more of a guy who was more of an enforcer, more of a hitter. Uh, and so there, there are two different types of safeties opposite Harrison Smith. I, uh, yeah, Harrison Smith. I think Anthony Harris is a much better match because Harrison likes to be, you know, roam around near the line of scrimmage. I think even a little bit more than deep. And you got to have a deep guy if you've got a guy who's really good around the line of scrimmage. And that's where I think Harrison Smith uh, really uh, pays a lot of dividends for this defense. Yeah, no, I, and, and I don't think there's any debate about how good Anthony Harris is at the job that they give him. I mean, he leads the league in interceptions and is a top three safety by pro football focus. It's only that I wonder if because Harrison Smith is so versatile and so excellent, and I I think if he keeps going like this, he's got a good chance to make the Hall of Fame or at least be that caliber of player. If he has five more years at the level of play that he's had over the last five, uh, then he's got a shot at that, and he makes everyone better around him on the entire defense. He, in my mind, has been the centerpiece of the defense for the entire Zimmer era. So the question is, is it worth paying Anthony Harris a salary cap hit even in 2021 that's going to be 12 or 15 or 17 million dollars or something like that um, because you'd need to structure it to have a very low cap hit now so even though well, they're talking I think, obviously the Vikings aren't going to get aggressive on an expensive player in free agency it looks like correct unless somehow we end up with the trade with Washington right for the left tackle position but we also would give up some salary. so you know, it doesn't look like there's going to be some some super expensive player from some another team that's going to come here. So it's the money of, of Dalvin Cook, right? You know, I think I think that is part of this conversation. Is yes. what are they going to do with Dalvin Cook? Are they going to extend him? Um, and and if they do, and we all love Dalvin Cook, just like the LA Rams three years ago, absolutely loved Todd Gurley. Yeah. 
And that didn't work out. And, and there's just this thing with running backs uh, time and time again. And it didn't work out great for, for even Dallas last year when they signed Zeke Elliott to the big deal. They didn't make the playoffs. And, and so the question is, do you pay your running back that much money no matter how good he is, no matter how good he is. And, um, and, and Dalvin does have that downside of being hurt, you know, on, on occasion. So the real question is, you know, do you want to sign him to a, to a big extension, uh, to an extension, or, or do you just go, you know what? It's going to be more about the offense and the, the offensive line and the scheme, you know, going back to that Den, those Denver er, uh, mm-hmm. era of, you know, they rarely spent, you know, uh, collateral on running backs, whether it was in free agency or, or paying guys or even in the draft. I mean, I think Clinton Portis is a second rounder. It's like, oh, wow, Mike Shanahan actually went for a higher running back. They usually get guys in the seventh round. Who and then they traded him. Running. <laughs> yeah, and they ended up trading him, getting some value for him. So, you know, that is the question is, um, you know, do they decide, you know, we're just going to take the route of an expensive tailback, you know, expensive quarterback, expensive offensive line, defense, you know, and have a certain, you know, sort of business model that in, that doesn't include paying your running back a lot of money, no matter how good he is, right? Um, and so that is, I, I think nobody knows that, and I guess we'll know uh, a lot more. And, you know, they can do the franchise tag. They always can do that. It's, you know, you pretty much have the ability to sign on one-year extension, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that they could add just one more year to them and, and ride that running back train sort of one more year. And if you lose out on them, you know, hopefully, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Madison could run for, you know, a 1,000 yards or 1,200 yards of running back in this system the way they blocked last year. I think he's a good player, so maybe they go that route just because it's less expensive. So there's another part of this, too, and I'll circle back to that Delvin point in just a second, but things really change with the salary cap after June 1st. And with no OTAs anyway, a lot of times... Once you get to those OTAs and mini camps, you feel like you've got your team, so you don't see a whole lot of changes between June 1st, even though the, the salary cap structure changes. And why this is, I don't know. I'll have to have someone on to explain it to a T because it's complicated. But just going by overthecap.com, if you change things over to after June 1st, you can make a lot more cap space by trading people and, in some cases, cutting people. I'll give you an example. If the Vikings were to trade Riley Reef after June 1st, they can make $11 million in salary cap. Right now, they can only make eight. And even somebody like Anthony Barr, you could trade him and make $10 million in cap space after June 1st. But before June 1st, you can't do that. That You won't make any salary cap space. So a lot of things change. Even Kyle Rudolph, who I wouldn't think they'd want to give away, considering the weapons that they have now, he's still important. But trading him after June 1st makes $7.3 million in cap space. So with the way that things are plodding along here in the offseason, and we're all sort of sitting and waiting uh, because the league is essentially shut down in some ways, um, though we're going forward with the draft, but they can afford to be patient here. You don't have to sign these draft picks until you actually get into training camp. So anything before then, you can wait and do some cap manipulation and contract extensions at a later date if you want to. Now, what you said about Delvin Cook, my thing with him is I understand the history of running backs recently, and the Todd Gurley example is definitely uh, probably a haunting one for everybody at TCO Performance Center. But when you look at them signing Cousins to a contract extension and wanting to win in 2020, you can't have him holding out. I mean, yes, Alexander Madison's good, but Delvin Cook, when Adam Thielen was out, 
He averaged over 10 yards of reception last year. How many screen passes did he take that were five yards behind the line of scrimmage and turn them into 20 yards? Because he is a special player, and he is, he is. very much he still is in his prime. Player. He, and, and he's in his prime. He's a special player. He has the sort of afterburner type speed that you just don't see very much in running backs. And mm-hmm. he also finishes plays with power. Uh, he is... Um, you know, he and Stefan Diggs were the best weapons of this football team last year, and now Stefan's dog and, gone, and so he's even more important. So, I mean, if, if you just watch a Vikings game throughout the year, you go, yeah, that, they're obviously trying to get the ball uh, to Dalvin Cook. He seems to be their their best player. They throw him a lot of screens, um, you know, that they, they obviously get the ball out in the backfield, but um, he, he is, he's got some quick feet, and he's super fast as well. I mean, he's a special running back, and the question is, you know, do you pay a guy like that because you don't know the future, and that's yeah. the whole thing yeah. with running backs is you don't know the future. Like they're they're like a like if you pay insurance on a car, there's somebody that's been a lot of accidents. Running backs have, you know, uh, and the question, you know, which which is the the accident that sort of makes the the car not drivable or not drive as well anymore. And he is a he is a Porsche, and uh, you know you dig things up and you mess up the. Uh, um, uh, the, the wheels or whatever, it's just not going to drive as fast and, and, and good as, as it was before. It doesn't take very much sometimes. and, and But he is a special, special player. This offense uh, relies on him a lot. And, and when he wasn't playing over the last few years when he's been hurt, the offense hasn't been as good and as consistent. Right. So that one we might have to wait quite a while into the summer for the Vikings to figure out some of these other salary cap things. And it might take until after June or right before training camp. They have done that before where they've announced contract extensions right before training camp. And there will be no OTAs for him to skip. So that would have been a huge story for us. Like, oh, Delvin Cook's not at OTAs. He's not at off-season workouts because he doesn't have a contract. Well, now nobody's at off-season workouts. Well, can I so. say something? about the off-season thing, yeah. by the way? Yeah. You know, did, did you see that Adam Schefter uh, uh, little spiel last night? Yeah, that on, OTAs uh, are probably going to get canceled, yep. Well, he said OTAs are done, and he sort of, you know, he you know he works based, you know, he works for the NFL. You know, they're in the business, and, you know, that's where he gets that's where he gets his information, all those things, you know, coaches, GMs, owners, all these people, Schefter's, of course, has relationships with. And he sort of called out the NFL last night saying, you know, the NFL just refuses to listen to anyone with common sense of, like, let's move this draft back. Like, just what's – we're not going to do OTAs. So what's the hurry, you know, of doing this thing right now and, and w- w- with what's going on? So you, you haven't seen a ton of that. Uh, and he made a comment last night. We'll see, you know, how it holds. And so um, – Anyway, I got off track there. But uh, speaking of speaking of the off season, is you know we're we're talking about the Vikings having a lot of rookies maybe playing this mm-hmm. year. Yep. Uh, that you know they've got two first round draft picks, and they got they let go of uh, they traded Dig, so there's one, a couple corners, uh, you know maybe a defensive event. Like there's some spots we're thinking for maybe more spots on this team that will be rookies. We think they're not going to have an OTAs. That, that that those OTAs and that rookie mini camp, I, I cannot tell you. The value of those for a young player. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different world coming from college to the pros. All these guys have done their college thing, and then they, they're working out. Other than that, like, they're not really learning pro football. And then you walk in, and it's like, you know, the advanced aspects of, uh, you know, the double-A gaps. There's all these things that they have to learn. And to do it without the, that rookie minicamp, of which you get to do it at a you know, slower pace and simpler plays and simpler defenses, just so these young guys can go up there and, 
and uh, uh, you know try to execute, and and then then the varsity sort of shows up, you know, the next week, and then they have all those OTAs and the mini camp, and to get and then have that break and go, okay, that I saw what happened there. Now we get to like a month or five weeks off before we go to training camp, and you can study up on those things. I'm sure they can watch film on those things. They're not going to have really that. They're going to have, I'm sure, some sort of virtual meetings, but they're not going to have all that group learning stuff, which uh, just you know will really, really inhibit uh, their ability to to perform well. You know, five weeks after they show up for training camp, if there's even that much. For, I mean, who knows where this is going to go? But let's just say there's a normal training camp. Uh, only having four or five weeks total to put before the regular season starts. That is asking a lot. Um, for for ha- if you're going to have four rookie starters, and this is a a Delvin Cook point in a way too, because the offense is going to have to drive the success in 2020 if they're going to have it. I mean, right now, if you look at the roster and you look at the rest of the league, it's very much up in the air where the Vikings would be at this moment because we don't know who's playing a lot of positions. But what we are getting a pretty clear picture of is that it's not going to be Jadavian Clowney. Uh, it's probably going to be, like you said, a lot of rookies having to fill spots or guys who are less experienced having to fill spots on defense. But the offense is largely going to be the same. And even though I like what Alexander Madison did, if you're taking away the biggest weapon that they had last year in Delvin Cook and then asking the offense to drive your success and be the reason that you win week in and week out, not just last year where it was kind of... You know, you beat the teams you were supposed to beat. A lot of times you got good defensive performances. There were a few games where you had to win and get something really good out of your offense, say, like against Denver in the second half. But a lot of times, you know, you were playing David Blau or, you know, they start off in Atlanta with an interception and you're just kind of off and you can dominate with the running game. Or in Los Angeles, you get a bunch of turnovers. The Vikings defense caused a ton of turnovers last year. If you're not doing that... Um, because a lot of your players are inexperienced and you're getting in shootouts, you can't be minus one weapon with Delvin Cook. And this it, it kind of speaks to the short-term view that they have to have after signing Cousins to a contract extension, because if you had a long-term view, you might go, okay, well, you know, whatever. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out for 2020. We're looking forward. But if you're still expecting to be a contender, then you better have that guy in your backfield. Yeah, and you know, not, not having Stefan Diggs right now, uh, you know that's that's big. By the way, I was I saw your little mock draft or what you did the other day. It looks like that's Vikings. a draft sim. I liked it. By the way, I liked the whole thing with two wide receivers going not in the first round, but maybe like second, third round type of thing because they're good, and you you, you just got to make you hope that one of them is really good and yeah. ends up being a starter. Yeah, and uh, you, you have you know sort of you double your chances right there. You know so. Dalvin Cook's very important. He's very important to Kirk Cousins. You know, it's one of those deals where Dalvin Cook makes everybody else better, right? I mean, he's one of those guys. He's on the field. He is making Adam Thielen better. He's making Kirk Cousins better. He's making the offensive line better. He's that type of player. Uh, the question is, how do the Vikings afford to pay him long term? And you know, how that then you know back to the end of the conversation, how that affects the Anthony Harris scenario because there's just only so much uh, money in this uh, this pie that they have and. 
and uh, you know that they're fairly close to the top, and they've done what they can to to clear some room, but that's also caused them to open up uh, starting positions that they they have to somehow fill. So since you mentioned my draft sim, I did another draft sim that has kind of a different approach of only drafting one receiver late, but mostly ignoring the receiver position. We talked about this the other day, Adam Thielen, and whether he can handle being the Andre Johnson, but I wanted to see how it would play out. Like, if I liked it, if the Vikings avoided wide receiver in their first three picks, the two in the first round and the one in the second. And what I came away with, Sage, was uh, Christian Fulton, the shutdown LSU cornerback, the Iowa defensive end, uh, A.J. Epinesa, and the, he's a he's a heck of a player, you know. As an Iowa Stater, having having to go uh, watch uh, uh, Espinessa is Espinessa. Espinessa. Uh, he is he's been dominant. He dominated us uh, uh, multiple years, and just in the Big Ten in general. And uh, he really sticks out as a guy who's a, you know he just looks like a, he's going to be a ten to twelve year really really good pro for a long time. I don't think it'll be great, but he'll he'll be a guy I think a lot of pro teams would love to have on their football team. And side- in Iowa, we such a good job with line play in mm-hmm. general with with uh, Kirk Ferentz, the head coach. He's one of those guys that can could definitely step in right away and and fill that defensive end position. Just a side point about him is he had a terrible combine in a lot of ways. I mean, he didn't run very well. He didn't bench particularly impressively. Um, and so, of course, a lot of people freak out. And I, I watch the film though. He's a watch the film guy, well, right? You know? I mean, that that is the thing that sort of drives you nuts about uh, about that. He also did have a good, and I didn't realize this, a good broad jump, which sounds silly because you're like, but broad jump. Well, what does that matter? Uh, but the explosiveness of that position is sort of like that's the type of movement that would be representative in explosiveness and his three cone wasn't that bad but he didn't have a good combine so everyone's saying well he's 275 and he can't do this or he's not as long and lanky as this guy or that guy and and sometimes you go okay let's all remember a lot of the players who have not had perfect combines and have turned out to be good football players who were good the entire time they were in college football yeah. against real football players oh, yeah. on a real football Shocker, field. Shocker, the guy was a three-time Big Ten, <laughs> all-Big Ten selection, and he ended up being a good pro. You know, just a shocker there. Right. Uh, Orlando yeah. Brown is my favorite example of all time. The guy ran a um, – he's right now a, a solid right tackle in the NFL – and he ran what was his forty a five six eight forty which I think that Jonathan could top. And yeah. It's like who cares? He's an offensive yeah, tackle. Brian McKinney seven. was not Brian. I don't know if Brian McKinney ran the forty, but it didn't really matter. He wasn't the type of guy that needed to run a you know forty wasn't his thing. He was a mountain of a man. He was super strong. So everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. Right. And, uh, uh, but yeah, that would be so. So you're thinking defensive end. Defensive more end corner, than receiver early, and, defensive and then, end corner, and then the third pick, the one in the second round, was Ezra Cleveland, who is a tackle from Boise State, who is kind of I know we just were ranting about this guy's a great player on the field, and so you know that matters most. Well, Ezra Cleveland had an unbelievable combine to go along with the fact that he was a very good uh, tackle at Boise State. He's one of those guys where his write ups say the same things that they said for Brian O'Neill. He needs to put on more weight. He needs to be stronger. But when you run a sub-540, that immediately, I'm sure, catches Gary's attention uh, in terms of your athletic offensive linemen. So I, I didn't draft a receiver in this draft simulation until the 89th pick when I took Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan. And he's certainly a big question mark. Like You go through his history, his production's not that great, but he was a five-star recruit. And so you're not getting one of the elite prospects in the third round. But when you lay it out like that, 
uh, it really does fill some nice positions. You have someone who could come in right away and produce at the defensive end. You have someone who can start at corner. You have a potential starting maybe right tackle or left tackle for 2021. And maybe somebody who is a backup who gets into the game uh, because I think tackle is a huge thing for their future. And I, I don't mind it. Every single mock draft has them taking a receiver. I don't mind it if they don't try to replace Stephon Diggs in the first round. Well, you don't want to reach. That's one of those things. And they did that with Christian Ponder. They reached on him. A lot of teams had him as a third or even fourth-round draft pick. They obviously had him. Uh, and then they saw these quarterbacks go, and they wanted to need, They knew they needed a quarterback, and so they, they went you know too high. So, um, by the way, you know, doing this radio show that I've done with you and podcast the last couple of years, you know, we, I haven't done much of the off-season stuff, mm-hmm. right? This yep. is sort of a little bit new to me talking about all the you know as i say speculation because we just don't know what it's going to be but you know we, we do know i feel like we we know the the positions of need on this football team mm-hmm. and uh it's going to be a different off season not having you know the otas and those types of things so you have to take all these things into consideration when you're trying to win in 2020 um so it's it's it is very interesting um as to you know do they go wide receiver because you know they they need one and you know they need two corners, and you know you need that defensive end position. So you, you have these these you know various, and I'm sure obviously other spots, and then the salary cap deal that they you know just seem to be for having that many holes. They seem to be pretty high on the salary cap. I don't think you should have you know four starters uh, to fill at, at important starters. You know, usually corners an expensive position. Uh, wide receivers usually an expensive position. These aren't cheap. Uh, spots to pay guys a lot of money, and, and they have that with uh, it, with a tight salary cap and no offseason for the rookies. Uh, they're, they're, to me, like in a little bit of a crunch uh, than any time that I remember in their past. That's because the uh, dead cap that they have, you could sign Jadavian Clowney with. <laughs> uh, that's the position they got themselves into. And even trading Stephon Diggs, it made them a couple of million bucks on the salary cap, but he's got $9 million in dead cap. For this year, Rhodes has four point eight million. Josh Klein two point six million, which is still a baffling Are, thing. Do you, that do you have uh, the, the Vikings with twenty two million dollars in dead cap? Uh, um, I have right now? just over twenty million dollars on, gotcha. on, on overthecap.com. So I'm, gotcha. these numbers can vary a little bit because uh, we don't have every tiny bit of information. Um, the NFL doesn't make them all available, like everything from every single uh, contract, but over $20 million in terms of dead cap space, which is something the Vikings have done a tremendous job of avoiding, but eventually it, that's just where you end up getting to. So anyway, it is, a, it is a fascinating situation, and I'm glad that we can do this. You're learning to recklessly speculate, Zay. This is, <laughs> it is. like a I new mean, skill you for you. I just have no idea. <laughs> like breaking down what the tape is easy, and... but speculating, <laughs> that's yeah, but... hard. Yeah, they'll probably uh, they'll probably take a right tackle in the second round, and we're like, well, we never really thought of that, you know. But we'll we'll see where they go with this thing. We'll see if this draft occurs. We're, we're officially in April, and it's officially it is draft, draft season. Month, yes, draft season. You know, the the month of April, by the way, just to, just to break topics from the Vikings for a second, has was was always one of my favorite sports months of the year. Uh, it was the Final Four. Usually was. I got into April and uh, the Masters the following weekend, and you know spring starts occurring here in the Midwest, and it just sort of like, you know, this this is uh, a, a great month for sports. Uh, you know, baseball and all that stuff is 
is going, so to not have that this year made me re- really realize April is a great, great sports month, and, and uh, you know, we'll see if they have this draft. We're in draft month. That's yeah, another thing that I, usually happens Looks like April. we're going we, forward. We will see uh, going forward um, uh, as things develop here. You are right. I'm actually supposed to be, or what was supposed to be, flying to New Orleans for the Women's Final Four tournament tomorrow, but... Uh, I'll be here, so you know. Well, that's the way it goes. I I will say this: uh, yeah, you know, I'm over here in Omaha. We have beautiful weather today. A lot of times, when the weather's good here, it's good in the Twin Cities the next day. It's like the winds coming from Oklahoma and Texas or something, rolling up the Great Plains uh, into Minneapolis. But um, it's beautiful today, and I'm gonna after the show. I'm going out and playing nine holes of golf with my son. There you go. And I got it set up up with one of the public golf courses. You just you don't even go in the pro shop. Just walk. I call them, give my credit card information, just walk right into the course. Yeah, that's a great way to do uh, it. And and we'll we'll go out and walk today. So I got to get some exercise, and I I think the warm weather is coming. But I think maybe cold weather's coming in a couple days. Yeah, yeah. Snow in three days or something. So the weather in the Midwest is. The weather in the Midwest is schizophrenic in the spring a little bit. Uh, It it always is. um, But I think the worst is over. And that's why, as we uh, hit a break here, but that's why um, I really am happy with the fact that the NFL is sticking with the draft because it is a great sports month that we're missing out on, and this is the last thing we're grasping onto. This is it, yeah. Total speculation. We'll see where it brings us. Uh, We'll still have plenty more, I'm sure, going forward here into the uh, draft. So, all right, when we come back, though, I have... An important quarterback question for you pertaining to something that Philip Rivers or that Frank Reich said about Philip Rivers. We'll discuss when we return. You listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company. And Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense. And that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We could all use a little help while quarantined. And thanks to our many great local partners, Score North Listening Rewards is here to help with some cash relief. All month long, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North mobile app, register your app, and you could be a winner. Caller, did you see this news coming out of, uh, I think this is from NFL.com, about where the Saints will be holding their draft war room come the April draft. It is at a brewery, yeah, I believe. A brewery that their owner, Tom Benson, owns. So question for you off the cuff here. Where would you hold your draft war room if you couldn't use the training facility? Mall of America. Mall of America. I'll tell you why. Okay. I know sometimes the locals here are like, and eh, you know, Mall of America, that's for people who visit and are out of town. Yeah. Well, I didn't grow up anywhere near a mall. Mm-hmm. So now I live like seven minutes from the mall, and I love going there. I love it, too. It's great. I've lived here all my life, but I still love the Mall of America. It's a great selection. I'll hold it at the mall. Great all right. Uh, is that it, Jonathan? Do you That's have a, something nope. else? Okay. Um, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels, and uh, I just tweeted out that, Sage, you are officially going to be a full 100% reckless sports talk host today. That there is there there's no breaking down defenses or flanker right F drive thirty two dig stuff. No, no, no. This is this is this is the uh the time I have where a question for you. to be fully I have, reckless. Yes. 
question. Uh, in traditional uh, offense, they have a split end and they have a flanker. Which one is on the ball? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. Yeah, well, I'll I mean, I know be... split end and flanker and uh, the Z receiver and such. Yes, so in tradition, the um, X receiver is the, the split end, and the Z receiver is the flanker. Okay, so, so well, that would be the, off that, the ball. That would be the uh, the X receiver. Then. The X receiver is on the ball. Yeah, the flanker okay. is is off the ball because he's on the same side as the tight end. Yeah, I feel like those are old timey like names for them. Do they still say in real practices the flanker? I feel like uh, we say the X Y Z. XYZ, but but um, in this old traditional West Coast offense, so like when, when Bill Walsh uh, uh, ran the offense, for whatever reason, they called that position flanker. So it was like flanker drive or flanker curl or for whatever reason. And so we never called the split end, and we called him X, but occasionally. Right. Yeah. And so, so these classic, classic old school West Coast plays, two jet flanker drive. It's this concept where the Z receiver runs a shell across, and then sort of right behind them, the tight end works basically uh, what they call a basic cross, about a ten to twelve yard in route, and and so, um, but they would, and we, and of all the, I mean, my rookie year we were West Coast offense. It was like the coaches from uh, Kansas City who had coached Joe Montana not too long that you know or before my time, and uh, and they caught there was like this traditional thing where we just called certain plays we call them the flanker and it never made any sense to me <laughs> and it never made any sense to anybody else it was sort of like well you just sort of do that it's almost like out of respect or out of something that's what we call it and you sort of learn it and but then so i do know all the coaches i've talked to since then you know the the Kyle Shanahan's of the world, they they all call it Z, Z drive or whatever. And no one call, I don't think they call flanker anything anymore. But, um, yeah, it was like you go, you know, strong right, Z short, two jet flanker drive. Like in the same play, you, when you call them the Z and the flanker, it made absolutely no <laughs> sense. But, you know, uh, I, I do think coaches more and more because they want to do more and more uh, and be more descriptive to make things easier to learn. They've, they've gotten rid of a lot of that sort of traditional words that uh, made things way too wordy back in the day. Uh, yeah, that I'm sure if you're on the road in the Dome in New Orleans, yelling that out to everyone in a huddle is not the easiest thing. So if you could just make it a little easier and get up to the line of scrimmage. But yeah, I, I've only ever thought of them as, as X and Z, and only ever say flanker or split end to make a joke, like to sound old-timey. Like, neck rolls and flankers. Uh, I was watching a game on YouTube from the 70s, and the Raiders are playing, and the wide receiver is in a three-point stance at the it. line of scrimmage. Love the wide receivers in a three-point stance. <laughs> that might not have been the most effective plan. <laughs> well, when I was with, the, with, with Washington in 2002, we had Steve Spurrier as our coach. And one day we had, it was like a break in training camp practice. We are up in Carlisle, Pennsylvania um, at, at a small college, Dickinson College. And we're practicing. It's, you know, it's like 90 degrees or something. And, and there's a special teams period going on. And Spurrier's talking to us. And he's telling us how in some year when he was playing in the NFL, because uh, he did have, I'm not sure how long his NFL career was, but in some year that, you know, they used to run like quick outs all the time. Just the, you know, the five yard out, the 10 yard out. They just run them all the time because everyone basically played single high safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you didn't see quote unquote cover two where the corners are sort of the flat defenders. And so they said they, they actually remember the game where they played somebody and 
they played a form of cover two where the the corners did not drop and, and play sort of man to man on the wide receivers and they couldn't throw those out routes anymore and they like didn't know what to do. <laughs> it was you know that sort of shows you how far the game has come yeah. uh, over the course of the last uh, you know fifty years. Yeah, no, it certainly has, and it's fascinating to study and to watch. One of the things that I love about watching old games is how often you have the split two backs. So it's, you know, on, oh, yeah. on, on Madden, they would call it like the pro set or something. But yes, yeah, blacks you, are, are red, right uh, in West Coast. Forever. Yeah. So sometimes you would have uh, one on either side, you know, fullback on the right and the running back on the left. Sometimes you would have and this is this was great to watch run plays out of this when you would have the fullback directly behind the quarterback and the running back to the fullback's right. So it looks like an L. You just never see this anymore. And then they would run to the quarterback's left and, and have the fullback lead and you'd sort of sweep all the way back around the other side. I feel like if you did that now, the, you would just be blown up too quickly and you couldn't get away with it. But run plays used to be like that all the time. And it's weird. It's like, where did this where did this formation go? And I remember last year, Oakland was playing somebody that they were going to play early in the regular season, in the preseason. So uh, John Gruden had them line up in the split back pro set. Just like, yeah, there's no chance that he's doing that in, in the Oh, yes. season at all <laughs> yes yeah no there's uh um there's an old school uh a goal line play and like the, you know all the mike holmgren quarterbacks know you go go ask like uh you know the Hasselbacks or uh you know seneca wallace uh, who had him in, in seattle but there's there's all these there's this play called brown right a right sprint right gu corner halfback flat and uh and it's you know it's some funky formation i think he may be it's like one of those things where there's no reason for us to sort of run this play and make it this ridiculous, but <laughs> we're going to do it in a game because it's a preseason game and it doesn't matter. And it's sort of like, you know, everyone, everyone goes, oh, here's, you know, John Gruden running sprint right GU corner, um, uh, you know, at, at the one-yard line in the preseason game where that doesn't really matter. So it's, it is it is interesting the, uh, how they call things and how things used to be. You, you didn't see as much zone Back then, there was a lot of you know uh, double teams and tackle poles and big counters and um, you know tackles on the edge. It, it was it was a little more vicious, uh, you know, bl- the way of the, the offensive blocking. It wasn't as it w- I guess detailed or whatever. A lot of guys on the ground, right? And in the NFL game, you see guys with better technique and things like that nowadays than back in the day. So watching old football, sometimes the running scheme just it almost seems more violent. Uh, mm-hmm. In a lot of ways of of how the ran, the runners ran and how everyone everyone was just flying in with their heads too. I mean that's another thing. It, it was everyone was putting their heads down to to make those tackles. I'm sure and, and how much that uh, were made but, but uh, weren't made uh, of much more than some hard plastic and a little bit of padding. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are different that I pick up on when watching old games. But uh, one of them is certainly the violence across the board. And anytime someone throws into the middle of the field, mm. if you're watching a game from '94 or or prior to that, you're holding your breath every time they throw into the middle of the field. Like somebody could get killed. The safeties would just run over like heat-seeking missiles and try to take the receiver's head off. And one of my 
not favorite things because every time I go, no, like even though it happened 25 years ago, is somebody will make a sliding catch in the middle of the field. And the safety, even though he's going down to the ground, the safety still has to hurl his entire body weight at the guy's head. It's like we have made very good changes. Like anyone who's like, oh, the football's getting soft. No, 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 it's not. It's just way less crazy. <laughs> well, not, and not only that is, and for a long time, uh, probably until that concussion movie came out, you know, the NFL was making money off of that vision. Yeah. You know, the, yep. the jacked up. And jacked that was, up, right. I don't know how, what year they stopped doing that, but I mean, I remember watching old NFL videos and NFL films, and it was basically about, you know, the hit, the, these, the, the, the hitters out there, uh, the, um, the, 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 base, the bullies of the middle of the field, and, you know, guys totally clotheslining each other and just destroying people. Uh, and that was, you know, that would have been like a, an old follies type of thing, or like you know, the hitters of the NFL. Yes. I mean, that that was that was the game, and there it, there's still a lot of that. Um, it's just that the players uh, have found ways to uh, enforce to you know try to use your head, and guys that are completely defenseless and mm-hmm. where to hit them. They just tried to make it uh, fewer and fewer of those because uh, you know those have caused a lot of pain, a lot of injuries um, to the to these those players that are now in their you know 50s, 60s, 70s. 80s that uh, you know occasionally you see at some of these Vikings events and great players and it was a it was a rough rough game back in those days yeah 100 percent for the good that they've improved these things we'll get our kickoffs back at some point uh, but now you've avoided the recklessness for like eight minutes here so here's what I want to get into Frank Reich said Philip Rivers physical skills haven't diminished at all which is you know laughable of course but I wanted to talk about Rivers because it just sparked in my mind that we have this first tier, second tier, and then very exciting to talk about when it comes to the future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And Phillip Rivers is right kind of in the middle of this. So I made a list of who I think are the deadlocks for the Hall of Fame, who is going to be borderline and the ones that get debated a ton, and who might be like down the road, the guys who go into the Hall of Fame. So I'm going to tell you the, the guys who I have deadlocks, and you tell me if you disagree with any of these. Roethlisberger, Brady, Breeze, Rogers, Wilson. I have as guys who are guaranteed Hall of Famers. Correct. Okay. Now Correct. the borderline Hall of Famers I have as Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, and Eli Manning. Do you think any of those guys are dead locks? I think um, if Matt Ryan just sort of stays on his pace that he's on, you know, for another five years, he'd be a deadlock. I think he's, you know, he, he puts up big numbers all the time. Like right now, if all of a sudden he tore out his name, he didn't play anymore. Um, I, I think he's more in that, bo- I don't think he's, I don't even know if he's in the borderline category. I think he needs uh, a number of years um, to, to, because he hasn't won a Super Bowl. So, but he's on pace. I, I think, you know, obviously he's the youngest of these three guys, Rivers, Ryan, and, and Manning. But I think he's on pace if he continues at this pace for, five more years yes i i think he is a hall, a hall of famer at that point i can't decide whether we've over or underrated matt ryan i mean he, he's got some great seasons he, obviously the super bowl season he's got two 13 and three seasons a couple of trips to the nfc championship MVP. yeah he's got an mvp he had the led, mvp led thing the really in, matters in rating know? right yeah and i mean 109 and 80 as a starter for his career he's racking up all sorts of big numbers that are, you know, in terms of your counting statistics. But, you know, four Pro Bowls for playing that long isn't a ton. And unfortunately, he gets pegged with not winning the Super Bowl, even though he was up 28 to 3. Now, I know that he could have closed it out, but he, you get your team up by 25 points. I can't really be mad at the quarterback. 
um, for that. And by Pro Football Reference's Hall of Fame meter, he's a little below an average Hall of Famer, but pretty decidedly among the group that would be in the Hall of Fame. So I, I think he's an interesting one because he's almost like the the Don Sutton, you know, where he plays for a long time, racks up big stats. No one ever thinks of him as the best in the league at any time, but a very, very good player for a long time. I think that Ryan and Rivers have kind of the same conversation. No Super Bowls, a good amount of accolades, a lot of counting statistics that they've racked up, a lot of winning that they did. But I'm not sure in this era where there were quarterbacks that were so far ahead of everybody else, like Brady, like Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, Breeze, like those guys, the locks, that I think it becomes harder for Phillip Rivers and Matt Ryan to make their case. Well, I think Manning will get in because of the two Super Bowls and just because of the Manning thing and the New York Giants thing. Mm-hmm. I think he does get in. Uh, you know, again, that, that that trade, as we look at these guys going back, you know, if, if Phillip Rivers would have been on those Giants teams and had some great players around around him, uh, I, I think much better rosters continuously over the years. Until recently, the Giants had a much better franchise about mm-hmm. over the probably first 10 years. Uh, than what the San Diego now LA Chargers, you know, had. But you know, Rivers has really carried that franchise, and it's just one of those. He ended up being on a team that didn't have continually great players. It seemed like the offensive line was, it was always, uh, you know, uh, had injuries, and and he never had like a really a great defense. Uh, and the years he did have good players, they they went pretty far. They went uh, seemed like pretty deep in the playoffs. He had to go, of course, being in the same. Uh, you know, world as Peyton Manning mm-hmm. and uh, Tom Brady in the same conference for all those years did not help him uh, in any way. Those guys were you know, almost impossible to penetrate in the AFC for you know, 15 years or something. So I think all I think all three of these guys will get in. Um, and you know, but, you know, I guess I guess we'll have to see what happens. I, I do know this: Rivers is a guy that I always knew that funky throwing motion. Uh, he, get, he gets it out pretty quick and fairly accurate, uh, but I always knew that he would be able to throw the ball uh, at a pretty good pace for a long time because I don't think people realize how big and strong Philip Rivers is. He's a, he, like he he's, is a massive dude. He walked by me guy. when we were out yeah. in Los Angeles without his pads on like after the game. Like, wow, I didn't realize how large you are. Yeah, you're like, wow, that is, I mean, he's six foot four, five. He's, uh, and I'm six four, but he looks like he weighs 30 pounds of muscle more than I am, in particular right now. Uh, but he's a big, strong guy. And I was, uh, you know, when you, you talk to other quarterbacks around the league, like, you know, I, I've talked about A.J. Feely, an old friend of mine, uh, on this, and he, they played together in San Diego, and we mm-hmm. would talk about, like, you know what's philip like and he's like he is so strong of, of what he puts up in the weight room he is just one of those big strong guys and usually guys like that they can you know play for a long time but also keep pretty good pace you know on, on throwing the football and and even with that sort of unusual motion so um i, I think he's in the perfect spot i think that was you, you talked about that for a while that that would be the absolute perfect spot for him and with the colts and and uh, you know maybe they'll draft a quarterback also uh, and, and, and start over but have this sort of one-year holdover. I think yeah. having Phillip Rivers in your football team, that's a pretty good 
you know, one and done or even two year type of transition to, to whoever the next franchise guy is. I think that was a really good move by the Colts. Yeah, I think if they could go seven and nine with Jacoby Brissett, especially the way Brissett played down the stretch, which was terribly. He got off to a decent start and then struggled a lot. Um, that you're looking at them being a very competitive team in AFC South that's pretty beat up uh, after, you know, DeAndre Hopkins isn't there anymore. And, and I would make them the favorites with Rivers. Now, I want to know who you think down the road. If we were. Uh, laying bets for 15, 20 years from now, who the quarterbacks who are younger that have a chance at the Hall of Fame. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is already on pace at this moment to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Anything can happen, but when you have an MVP in your first season, an AFC championship, Super Bowl championship in your second season, uh, you've got a pretty good shot. Even if he has a catastrophic injury not that long from now, he could even go in as like a Terrell Davis type of you were so great for even a short period of time. So he is trending well. But the the other ones with, with are how interesting. Well Mahomes, with how well Mahomes has already played in like the first couple of years of his career, even if he just plays sort of above average for yeah. like the next 10 years, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, so, I agree. Yes, he is definitely on pace. Um, and But you have to have the number of years, right? For a quarterback, yes, I think you have sure. to have like 12 years or something like that, I would think. Um, and, and, and a couple phenomenal years in there, maybe an MVP uh, and or Super Bowl appearance at least. Uh, and so, by the way, I think that helps out Matt Ryan, the MVP. It wasn't that he, it yes, wasn't, he actually had Jason Taylor, too. Jason Taylor had an MVP. I think that helped out him big time uh, in the Hall of Fame stuff. So Mahomes definitely down the road. Uh, I, I do see Deshaun Watson as a possibility down the road. I just <clears throat> I don't love the offense that he's in. I think it's really, really hard on the quarterback. He's sort of I feel like he has to be a superhuman every time he goes out there. Yes. Yep. But I, I think he's a really, really good football uh, player, really good quarterback. And I'm sort of you know I feel like I want to I need to watch a little bit more Texans because uh, he is so much fun to watch. Um, Lamar Jackson, you have on this list, and I think it's way too early. And I know he has an MVP. But it was like, you know, um, one year. He's had really just one really good year, great year. Uh, and his style, like somebody who runs, the question is, can they get those 12 years and play pretty yeah. well for 12 years? And I don't know because I haven't seen that very often um, because this is like the Mike Mike Vick was, man, Mike Vick was so good, you know, uh, you know, fairly on early on in his career. But it was hard for him to play for that long because of, the way he played and, and uh, the injuries start adding up and all the other things. And yeah. so we'll see where Lamar Jack, I think it's very too early to, to say for him, but I definitely say you know, absolutely Pat Mahomes is on his way and, and Deshaun Watson, uh, he just needs to have, I, I think maybe a better team, better coach offensive, whatever around him. So it make his life a little bit easier, but he, he is a, a lot. He is one of the best young quarterbacks in this league. I do think with Lamar, that the skepticism about his throwing, even though he had 113 quarterback rating, 36 touchdowns, six picks last year, and averaged almost eight yards an attempt, it still kind of hangs over him uh, for the future and whether he'll be able to continue it. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I've always thought he was a better passer than people gave him credit for. And I think he will be a dominant quarterback for a really long time. Like you said, if if he doesn't have the injuries... And it might be hard to avoid if he continues to run as much as he does. But even if he dials it back a little and they throw more, I think he proved last year that he can do that. And when a guy starts his career in 19-3 and with an MVP, uh, it's, a, it's hard to be too skeptical. I'm not saying that he is a guaranteed Hall of Famer. You're two his, years his, in. His stats may not be like 
great in some ways, like passing yards or something. Like he's one of those guys that throws for like 180 yards, but throws four touchdown passes. You know, sometimes. So, um, yeah, I think it's all about how many times can you do that? Can yeah. you do it a whole bunch of times? And can you can have that consistency? That's the thing about quarterbacks is. It's not just uh, one or two great years. It's how consistent can you do it for right. a long, long time? Because right now we're, we're you know, if this was uh, uh, what seven, eight years ago, we're looking at Andrew Luck on this thing, right? Like, for right? sure. Like, oh yeah, yeah. He's, oh yeah. Lock he's on change. his way. Lock he just has change. to have some good years and blah, 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 and you know, not not even a part of the conversation. Another guy that you would have probably said three, four years ago should absolutely be on this list that we haven't even brought up is Cam Newton. Oh, certainly. People I thought, mean, after he wins know, the MVP, and, for and, sure. MVP, and we're not yep. even talking about it now. And I actually always sort of assumed he might be one of those guys, and we'll see where Lamar Jackson goes. But Cam sort of seemed to me that his style was like, I don't know if he can do this for a long time. Yeah. Uh, because one of the big advantages their offense had was third and one, fourth and one, goal line, those situations run the quarterback. Yep. You have an extra blocker and he's a big guy and, and he's strong and he can and he's great those things and those just take a toll and when you decide we're not going to do those anymore, it makes the you know playing the quarterback position having to throw on all those third down and ones and twos a lot of times, uh, it makes the job a heck of a lot harder. Right. And those injuries obviously added up and, and he wasn't uh, as effective and still has not been signed in free agency. Okay, I want to give you now uh, the chance to make the longest shot, long shot bet. And if this ever comes true 20 years from now, we'll have the sound, we'll play it, we'll tweet it, we'll put it on uh, whatever the social media is at that time, Zytron.web or whatever. We'll make sure that everyone knows about it. So with the longest shot to make the Hall of Fame quarterback that you actually think has some chance to do it, who would that be? Well, why don't you say yours first? Okay, you my, think about mine it. is Ryan Tannehill, only because Miami was so bad, and it's just it, at the time a bad organization, a bad coach for the most part. We've seen that uh, Gase didn't do a darn thing in New York, and I don't suspect that he will at, at any point. And so we all wrote off Ryan Tannehill, but he would not by any means be the first guy to have an up and down start early to his career, and then take off later in his career and have 10, 12 great seasons. I don't think it's going to happen, but if you made the bet right now for an extreme long shot for who could do it, maybe Tannehill, if he stays with the Titans and he's good and they keep stacking up weapons, I'll go with him. I'm going to go with Matthew Stafford. You think he's you think he's an extreme long shot? Does, that would mean that he has to win a Super Bowl, right? Well, he's not. The, yeah, well, it's not that. I don't even know if he's that extreme of a long shot. I mean, his stats are crazy. He's thrown for always thrown for a lot of yards up there. Their offenses are always you know pass first, pass first, pass first for a lot of years. They never had great running games. Uh, rarely had a great defense. So you know he's he's rarely on a good team. So that's why what makes you think you know he doesn't have a shot. And he, they're of course like almost never in the playoffs, but. The, the what would change is is uh, if all of a sudden he got hot, you know, four or five next four or five years, yeah, definitely and they, he wins a Super Bowl and they have like three, you know, playoff appearances that go to the championship game or something like that. You know, I mean, all of a sudden he just had a really good ending to years. I think Ryan Tannehill needs he doesn't have almost any of what 
I think Stafford had on, on and you know the first half of their careers. I think Stafford was he's always been a better quarterback and put up better seasons, um, but just always been on. They've both been on you know bad football teams, and so both those guys I think would be long shots. But Stafford, I tell you, it seems like he's one of those guys that the way he throws, like he could play until he was like forty three years old or something. Yeah, like that. no, I agree. Seems like one of those guys. I think more than Tannehill that could play for a really long time. I think he's going to end up with a Vinny Testaverde career, except for Testaverde's a journeyman, but Stafford with all these massive yardage totals and everything else, and you go, yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, it was, it was it was okay, it was good, but it wasn't great. Uh, it would be the, nice if Stafford like, finished his career somewhere else and on like a good team. Yeah. That had a good defense, and that had. And they just like we need a you know a veteran quarterback, and and I, I would really, really, I, I think he could be good, uh, or, or could you know do well and be a you know he's a playoff qu- quarterback. I, I've always sort of thought that, and maybe I've always overestimated how good he is, but I've always thought he's a really good player. Just you know happens to be on one of the worst franchises in the National Football League. Jonathan informs me that we can't use Zytron.web because Zytron is apparently a real thing. All right, I'll keep thinking of the next great social media platform, Jonathan. Sorry. Uh, Sage will connect on Monday, and maybe we'll have some more reckless speculation. Maybe we'll actually have moves to discuss the next time we talk. So thank you for your time, as always. Sounds good. Have a good one. All right, Sage Rosenfels there, our journeyman quarterback correspondent. We'll take a break. We'll come back. It's uh, time for a little Way Back Wednesday And we're going to go back to 2002 because we never talk about Dante Culpepper on this show. And so we will discuss one of his great games when we return with Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. We both watched that game back, and I have lots of thoughts, and so does he. So that's what we'll do when we return here to listen to Purple Daily on Score North. The American Red Cross continues to face a severe blood shortage due to the coronavirus pandemic. Healthy blood and platelet donors are asked to please give now. Donating blood is safe, and blood banks remain open across all the Twin Cities metro. To schedule an appointment, visit scorenorth.com, keyword red, to learn more or to give blood. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison producing, joining us now. Dr. Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus, who is going to use his uh, old-school doctoring skills of breaking down a game from 2002. What's up, Eric? Hey, Matthew. Uh, it was a fun uh, blast from the past to watch this game you know, over again. Yeah, you know what? I've focused a lot on things that have happened in the 90s and really haven't gotten into very often on this show, if ever, the Dante Culpepper era. And so I stumbled across one of the best games he ever played as a Minnesota Viking, which is ironic because they advanced to 4-10 and with a big upset in 2002 over the New Orleans Saints, 32-31. to But Culpepper was so good in this game that I wanted to talk about it. And, of course, any game that ends with Randy Moss with 11 catches, including a game-winning touchdown, is also worth discussing. So let me just start here. This game is Dante Culpepper and Aaron Brooks, two guys that I think, Eric, at the time we would have said, oh man, they're going to be dueling it out in the NFC for a really long time. Like, It's sort of sad that both Dante Culpepper and Aaron Brooks never really had their careers come to fruition for what we thought they could be in 2002. Yeah, I think if you look at Brooks's career, uh, it was a really bad beat because in 2004, they missed the playoffs 
against the Vikings. They lost the tiebreaker to Minnesota. And Brooks is great. I think he had something like 24 touchdowns, seven picks. Hurricane Katrina happens. They have to play the season in, like, San Antonio and LSU, and he struggles. And then they go with uh, Drew Brees the following year, and his career is never the same. So both guys, of course, in 05, Culpepper tore up his knees. So both guys sort of uh, bad beats uh, despite being – I think pretty good quarterback prospects as of 2002. What's fascinating about Culpepper, I mean, a, a few things, and I haven't watched a Dante Culpepper game in such a long time that things just pop out to you differently when you haven't watched someone play in forever. And Dante Culpepper's first two steps when he would take off are as fast as anybody that ever played quarterback in the NFL, I swear. I mean, like his top speed was not as fast as someone like Randall Cunningham. But when he decided he was going to run, it, it he got up to full speed really quickly. And in this game, he runs for 73 yards. He scores two rushing touchdowns. He scores the two-point conversion to win the game. And for a guy that was such a house, I would have hated to have him running at me if I was even a linebacker. Yeah, I think even from his first start in 2000 against Chicago, he had three rushing touchdowns in that game. Like, it was just one of those where, yeah, I mean, he would go he would like go on the sideline and just deliver blows to defensive backs. And he was just an absolute terror to bring down. And the, the best part was, the plays were never over because he could always just, he was Ben Roethlisberger like in the ability to just like break tackles in the pocket. And then, as you said, unlike any quarterback probably we've seen maybe before Cam Newton, that when he's out in the middle of the field, it's like tackling a fullback or tight end. Yeah. And uh, there's a play early in this game where they hand off, and I think it's a reverse actually to Randy Moss. And Dante Culpepper yeah. is sort of standing out there and then decides, like, oh, I should go see if I could block someone. And a safety moves out of his way as he's running down yeah. to, to block. There, there have been very few, if any, quarterbacks in NFL history where a safety would be like, nah, I don't want any part of that quarterback. But the, the interesting thing here about Culpepper is. And I don't really have a good feel for this. You probably do better than me. Is he starts off his career unbelievably well in 2000. And Sage Rosenfels and I were just talking about guys who have amazing starts to their career and then never really come to fruition. But by 2002, I would imagine that Vikings fans were wondering what the deal was going to be with this guy because he had 23 picks, only 18 touchdowns that year, really struggled. You don't see any struggles in this game. In this game, he's amazing. 26 for 36, 300 yards, four total touchdowns. Like, what happened with Dante where he was never able to repeat that 2000 until the 2004 season where he is absolutely mind-blowing? Yeah, I mean, the the tricky part was he started off so well and they had Moss and Carter, and I think this this sort of shows sheds light on you know some of the discussions we've been having should the Vikings you know uh, draft the wide receiver or not and in 01 Carter was clearly cooked so you know they they kind of only had Moss and then 02 it sort of hits another wall where their second receiver was some combination of Dwayne Bates and Kelly Campbell which is just not good enough and there were some games where Moss could elevate himself like he did in this game but in many times, they just simply didn't have a second option in the passing game, and Dante really struggled. So, you know, at the end of 2002, they gave him an extension, which I think was warranted, but a lot of Vikings fans were scratching their heads. He was benched in a game in, you know, in 2002 for Todd Bauman for ineffective play. 
that's yeah, that's kind of crazy. But I do remember that. I feel like I was watching that game, and then you know, eventually in '04 has that great season, but they still only go eight and eight. And ultimately, I yep. think he was thought of as being disappointing. Um, but let me go back to this game. So they get ahead. 14 to 3 special teams kick return for touchdown you know the, not so effective by Michael Lewis who is the tiniest person and here's another observation from this game and about Gary Anderson I forgot he did this when Gary Anderson knew he made it he just ran off the field before it even went in do you remember this yeah. he would kick it and then he would just sprint off 41 yarder I am 100% for this <clears throat> except for another time in Viking history <laughs> but like it was so it was so great to see Gary because by 2002 how many kickers ever have an epic meltdown like that and then are still on the team four years later and joyfully booting one through and sprinting off the field. So I, I enjoyed that about Gary Anderson in this game. Yeah, I think earlier in that 0-2 season, you know, Doug Bryan missed two PATs in the same game. And the NFL film shows Mike Tice walking over to Gary's honor and saying, hey, call Gary on Tuesday. <laughs> and it's sort of one of those where they kept bringing him back and you know, they had, you know, they, they, he'd never kick off, so they'd always have to keep a second kicker uh, to kick off in his stead. Uh, but, but he would, yeah, he was pretty good at field goals, and he even played a few years after that for Tennessee. So he was kind of a remarkable career, as, you know, many Vikings fans feel him, you know, feel of him negatively, but he was quite a good kicker for the Vikings. So Moss in this game is worth talking about because it, it's just incredible. Like you said, the, the, nobody else on this team was a threat. Kelly Campbell has two receptions, Dwayne Bates. Byron Chamberlain has the next most receptions on the team in this game uh, on, uh, let's see, what was it, December, I'll get the date for it, December fifteenth, two 2002, with um, the Vikings and Saints. So he ends up with 11 catches, and my favorite part of the game, and something that should go down in all-time Vikings history is just one of the coolest things, is the game goes back and forth. Deuce McAllister scores a touchdown, and the Vikings have a chance to drive down and win the game. And so they've got it inside the 20-yard line, and with the clock ticking off, 15, 10 seconds left, Culpepper decides he's only throwing to Randy Moss. And the, yeah. <laughs> and the Saints know he's only throwing to Randy Moss, and they have two guys on him for three straight plays. The first two are close. The third one, Moss just jumps over two people and catches a touchdown. Yeah. It's just like one of those classic, like, I'm going to beat you. Like, if Michael Jordan lines up one-on-one with somebody, it does not matter how well you defend this. Randy Moss is scoring this touchdown. Yeah, and I think it was over former Viking Dale Carter, who was quite a good corner in his own right, but at the end of his career. And another funny part of that game was Dale Carter's brother, Jake Reed, a former Viking great, also caught a touchdown as the Saints' fourth receiver. So it's just like a really fun, like, uh, you know, blast from the past there, uh, you know, with, with names. And, yeah, as you said, this, this was the Randy ratio year where Tice basically showed his hand in the offseason and said 40% of the targets are going to Moss. And he sure lived up to it in this game. <laughs> and then uh, my favorite part of the game, aside from that, is Culpepper fumbles the snap on going for the two-point conversion, which, much respect, we would have loved this on Twitter in 2002 if the head coach decided, I'm 4-9, and nine, so I might as well just go for two and try to end this game instead of trying to play for overtime with the New Orleans Saints here. The snap is fumbled. Dante Culpepper runs it in. And then one of the offensive linemen in his exuberance 
Lawrence for the victory tries to pick up Dante Culpepper and immediately gives up. Like, yeah, we won. Like, oh, oh no, this isn't. No, this isn't Kirk Cousins I'm picking up or or Todd Bauman. This is this is a, a house of a human being. And, and so, just that little funny moment there that you catch when you watch old games that you would have never remembered. Yeah, and it was the Vikings. I believe their first road win uh, since I believe Thanksgiving of 2000. So it ended up being like you know they they went five and eleven. 0 and 8 on the road in, in 01. They hadn't won a road game in 02. Uh, and so it was a very like exuberant feeling. Mike Tyson's first road win as the Vikings uh, head coach. It doesn't get any more exciting than that. Uh, can we talk a little bit more about just with Culpepper's career ending the way it did? What do you think would have happened if it didn't? I mean, if Culpepper continued to be the Vikings quarterback through that era because. You know, they, they rebuild the team up to the point where it got to in 2009, and maybe if he continues to be the quarterback instead of Favre, that's him that year being that successful, yeah. or maybe it's not. I mean, it's to me, it's it was always hard to pin down whether Dante Culpepper was actually a good quarterback or not because there are some points in this game where you totally see some of the problems. He would run backwards and get sacked for massive losses, and he yeah. was getting sacked 40, 47, 46 times every year, and the fumble thing was real, and, and I could never decide even back then whether I thought he was actually good. Well, and I think a lot of Vikings fans view him negatively because of what happened in 05, which was, you know, the Vikings in 04, Dante, probably the league MVP if you take out Peyton Manning. But then they, you know, and and in that year, Randy Moss missed five games and he was still good. So they trade Moss to Oakland. They go into the next year with Burleson as their number one, Marcus Robinson, Travis Taylor, and, and Dante's lost. He throws six touchdowns, 12 picks, isn't very good. They start two and five. Brad Johnson takes over after the ACL, I think goes seven and two or something like that. Brad Johnson always wins. Yeah. And so, and that team almost made the playoffs. They were nine and seven, which is better than the year they, that Dante, you know, in Oh four went eight and eight. So I think that's part of the reason it is interesting because he did really struggle once the defenses didn't have to worry about Moss in 05. Yeah, no, for sure. And I guess I always would have wondered if they had restocked the cupboard there and eventually you get Adrian Peterson on that team, if that becomes Mm -hmm. a duo that is so dangerous. You could have done so many fun things, but then his knee collapses and he's never the same. I had forgotten that he had a stint with the Oakland Raiders where he went 2-4 and as a starter. I had no recollection of that whatsoever. Um, A couple other just great players from this game game in 2002 uh back when defenses were not defenses for the vikings um you know greg beekert was on this team he was a former oakland raider lance johnstone i think also was a former oakland raider chris hovan was a good player i mean this is this is not what we've come to expect for the defenses of the minnesota vikings yeah the vikings were so bad defensively that year that tice basically said that the only player that was going to start for sure in 02 was, was Hovind, who was the number one pick in 2000. They were so bad, they signed Andre Crockett to play line, middle linebacker, and Beekert was cut by the Oakland Raiders for Napoleon Harris, who ended up on Minnesota like three years later, which is still funny. <laughs> and they, they signed Beekert and started him week one at middle linebacker. That's how bad that they were. And then he ended up being, I think, there, he had like four interceptions. I mean, he had like a Jack Del Rio type year in 02, uh, and it was a player that the Vikings didn't even go into training camp with. So that's how bad the defense was. Uh, trying to think of the other guys. 
that played their former gopher Tyrone Carter was on the team as well. So just kind of a really ratty group of defensive players who didn't put Dante in a great position to win much. All right, Eric, this has been fun. Tell me if there's anything else that you thought of while watching this game that you wanted to bring up. Uh, I, you know, I just thought it was really funny how, again, we've had this discussion about the Vikings and how you know offensive line matters and all this kind of stuff and versus you know wide receiver and who should they you know target in the draft and you watch this game and the Vikings offensive line's terrific Brian McKinney's the number one pick Matt Burke's a pro bowler might even be a hall of famer Moss is one of the best receivers in the game not you know not unlike Adam Thielen and since they didn't have a number two they slogged their way through the year so I think where you, you look at this from a Vikings fan's perspective it's really key for them to get a number two and number three receiver uh, because the number one isn't, isn't enough these days. So I wrote on our website today the counterpoint for that. Now, my ultimate conclusion is I agree with you um, that going into the year with Adam Thielen is a pretty tough task, and especially if Thielen even misses three or four games, who the hell is playing if you don't draft a, a top receiver? So I agree with that. Yep. If If they don't, though... You do have the opportunity to spend a couple first round picks potentially on, I mean, you know, whoever you want, like a, a couple of corners. I, I don't think it's crazy to look at it and say, maybe draft two third round receivers or a third and a fourth and see if somebody steps up the way Stefan Diggs in 2015 did and draft two cornerbacks because those are almost as valuable in terms of your, your positional rankings. Yep. And I, yeah, that's, and, and the, the issue with the Vikings is they have so many needs, right? So they almost can't go wrong in terms of filling holes with their first-round picks because they need corners, they need defensive linemen, they need offensive linemen and wide receivers. So uh, I get your point there. Uh, another one that popped into my mind, though, sort of as an anecdote for this entire thing, is the 9 Vikings with Sidney Rice. You know, Sidney Rice was, I think, prior to Diggs and Thielen, their last 1,300-yard receiver, he gets hurt in the NFC Championship game, doesn't play until midway through 2010, and they lose 12 points per game. Basically the same defense, same offense. Brett Favre comes back, and it's just that, you know, receiver, receiver depth, so important to a team that, you know, if, if your guys can win in under two and a half seconds, makes your offensive line uh, – that much better because they don't have to protect for that long. The thing I'm thinking about, though, with going into this draft is just the recent first-round draft picks at wide receiver. It has just been a bust festival over the last few years. I mean, you get a couple of guys yep. that, are, that are really great, of course, but Stephon Diggs's year... It's him and Amari Cooper, and then everybody else, yeah, pretty pretty meh in there. And last year, you get a couple of guys who are pretty exciting. Terry McLaurin, I think, will be a very good player eventually. Um, but aside from that, it seems to be really hard to pin down in college football these days who's a good college wide receiver that will translate to the NFL. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's because you know these teams ask these receivers to do everything, right? And it's very rare in a draft pick that you're going to get Cooper who can play inside outside can run all the routes you get a guy like Michael Thomas who can kind of do everything I think if you have an offense that you know requires different things of different receivers you can sort of platoon them in a way like baseball teams platoon you know righties versus lefties and all that kind of stuff and I think that that's why throwing numbers at the problem that's why getting guys with good pedigree in there uh I think it's really important for them because I agree with you I think if they identify one wide receiver they really like, a la Troy Williamson in 05, and they say, this guy's got to be the guy. 
the failure rate's going to be high. Yeah. But if they say the, we out of these three guys we drafted, I need one or two of them to be good, I think there's a lot higher chance for that to happen, and I think that's kind of what they have to do. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, Eric, before I let you go, Sage and I were having a discussion in our last segment about uh, Hall of Fame quarterbacks and who will ultimately get there and who won't and who are locks and things like that. And uh, we both selected extreme long shots or, or long shot quarterbacks who could totally shock us and someday become Hall of Famers. I picked Ryan Tannehill uh, just because, you know, I mean, he already had a great year and whatever. If we're talking about long shots, he wouldn't be the first guy ever to start his career off badly and then become Drew great. Brees. Yeah, exactly. Drew right, Brees right. Drew Brees, Steve Young, Steve Young also like terrible with Tampa Bay and then ultimately one of the best ever. Give me a long shot. Do you have one? Oh, that's a great one. I, I think you have to go into some of these te- young guys who haven't shown us much. So I think maybe somebody like Sam Darnold. Yeah, okay, that's a good one. Uh, Dr- yeah. Drew Locke or something. Like, I wouldn't bet on Drew Locke, but, you know, I mean, if you're picking it, somebody, it, he's a long shot. I mean, Eli Manning looked horrible his rookie year and his second year, and he'll probably make the Hall of Fame. I know Sage probably believes he should go in because he played with him and has a lot of good things to say about him. But, you know, I... <clears throat> Circumstances matter a lot. Even look at Russell Wilson, who is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Early in his career, he was considered a caretaker. And now he holds that team on his back. So there's so much that happens in those first two years, and not all of them can be Pat Mahomes right away. Are Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo long shots? I mean, I feel like they would be still, that even though both of them have a Super Bowl appearance and loss, there's so many guys who have gotten to the Super Bowl and then they never get back. We kind of see them as they bounce around a little bit or they have good years and bad years. I feel like if someone said that would be their guy that would be an extreme long shot, then I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, and I don't think that they have a chance in the sense that, you know, Jimmy G reminds me a lot of Brad Johnson, a guy who was sort of a backup for a while, uh, you know, played, and then when he played, he was impressive, but you ultimately, after seeing him start enough games, you saw his limitations. Uh, The problem with golf is that, as the number one pick and, make, and sending a team to the Super Bowl in year three, I think his expectations are too high. And so his, the perception of him as he sort of fails to meet them over the course of the next few years, it, it's going to keep him from having a positive, being put in a positive light. Uh, whereas a guy like Darnold, we're all sort of low on him right now because he's struggled. Mm-hmm. If he shows any signs, we're going to view him positively over the next 10 years or so. Right, and he, he has an extremely high ceiling if it ends up working out. I also have one more hot take on this, is that because of a 17-game season and the nature of passing statistics, eventually, I think the only thing that's going to matter is kind of like what you won as a quarterback, which I know is the last way that you guys at PFF want to analyze uh, your quarterbacks. You know, you grade every single throw and everything else, but if you're looking at Matt Stafford is going to have 50 bazillion yards or whatever it's going to be that he'll set all sorts of passing records, but he's a really tough sell for the Hall of Fame for me. I could totally see Garoppolo or Jared Goff or, or guys being like that that put up huge, huge numbers and break records and everything else, but we go, eh, never really won anything, so it's hard to put you in over these other guys who did win a lot. Yeah, that's not a bad take at all. Even if you look at Eli... Eli's career transcended like three eras of statistical football at the position, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. everybody that likes him is like, hey, look, he had 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns this year, and he's got like a 70 PFF grade because he's not very, you know, he just threw a lot, and they were behind a lot. You know, there's 
Kirk Cousins is the obvious example in Minnesota where, you know, his numbers look terrific, but you have to look at sort of what the era is and what he's asked to do and so forth. So I agree with you. Uh, you know, it, there's going to, I don't know, I think of a guy like Matt Ryan, right? He's probably on the cusp of being an elite quarterback, maybe a Hall of Fame quarterback, but ultimately, like, do we think he's a Hall of Famer if he can't come into U.S. Bank Stadium on opening day and put up more than 14 <laughs> points? I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that, that, you know what I'm saying? He, he is a hard, he is a hard one to figure out for me because he's got some great seasons. But you look over the whole thing and you go, when did I ever think Matt Ryan was the best quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, he won it. Yeah, it's sort of like Newton as well. Like they're they're good enough to win an MVP one year, but and and. That Atlanta offense in 16 is probably the scariest I've seen aside from these Chiefs offenses lately. But at the same time, like, you know, currently the Atlanta Falcons are not a team I'm going to bet on to make the playoffs. And is that really a quarterback that's deserving of the Hall of Fame? Right. You look back and all the other Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Marino, Aikman, uh, Young, all their teams made the playoffs like six straight years. Warren Moon, right. even, right? Yeah. He couldn't win in the playoffs. But it's like that's kind of – I mean – I'm not a, a QB wins guy, but I think for a huge sample, it, it does correlate pretty well with quarterback play, and that and that's kind of something that you know I think people will lean on a little bit, you know, in the future. Well, Eric, this was really fun. I hope I took you through whatever walk you were on. Were you like uh, under the bridge practicing on the Cincinnati Bengals field or what? Well, so I, you know, we were only allowed to go out in Ohio to take like to exercise, and. My house currently has like my two daughters doing school and my wife teaching them. Ah, okay. So I feel like this this would have been even less. This is was even less of a distraction <laughs> than my house. My house would have been. No, sound wise it was fine, but I just felt like uh, maybe you were getting winded at one point. There was a couple times, but you know that that's mostly <laughs> just because I get I you know I get excited talking about football. Yeah, you know, well, I get you know, I short, shortness of breath. You know? Yeah, not not only that, but you don't have the Cincy Y open at this point too. And anybody who listens to the PFF forecast knows the tales from the Cincy Y. So, uh, Eric, well, this was super fun, and I hope that we can do these uh, now and then when we'll have the chance. And without OTAs and things like that, uh, I think as we go forward, we will to just pick a random game from the past and have fun looking over it. So, thanks for coming on, man. As always. Yeah, take care. Have a good one. Yep, Eric Eager there. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. And I really can't tell you enough about the PFF forecast podcast. It's really good. I, I Every time I go out for a jog or whatever, I'm listening to it. Him and George Shahuri, they do a tremendous, tremendous job. And I steal their takes. So let's uh, take a break. We'll come back. Judd Zolgad's going to pop in. And I've got a few things left that I wrote down today. Uh, I, just a bunch of kind of random thoughts that were on my mind. One of them was about Sean Taylor, and I want to ask Judd about that when we return. You're on Purple Daily. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're doing your best to stay home, and we're here for you at Score North through every step of the way of the way through the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? Want to tell us why we're wrong, perhaps? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North continues to partner with Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to help make sure our area children continue to receive the meals and care that they need during the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks to Louisa Rise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Louisa Rise Minnesota Twins jersey. Your contribution enables the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest 
to continue to provide critical services to families dealing with the child's health crisis. Those services include overnight accommodations, complimentary meals, fully stocked pantries, laundry, and more. To donate, please visit scorenorth.com, keyword donate. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar here. Judd Zolgad joins in studio. And uh, I do have a question that sort of pertains to Dante Culpepper. We were talking about him a little bit um, because it's Sean Taylor's birthday. And as you know, Sean Taylor was killed uh, just a few years into his career, which looked like it was going to be a Hall of Fame career. He would have been 37 today. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the players, the all-time players that I think of. What would that guy have been if not? for what happened to him. And not that Dante Culpepper was killed, obviously, but um, his knee falls apart and he's never the same after that. Does he fall under that same category? I did a huge thing on our YouTube page about Teddy Bridgewater in the what if, and Bridgewater is a huge one because the team was so good after Bridgewater. uh, And we always wonder, would he have gotten them over the hump in 2017? Would they have been the playoffs in 2016 and 2018 with Teddy? How good would he have become? But there's so much less of that, I think, with Dante. And yet I can't figure out whether Dante Culpepper was a really good quarterback or not by looking at the stats that he put up, by remembering watching him play, because he's such a conundrum. He has those two years that are unreal, but he has a ton of sacks, a ton of fumbles and things like that, and years that are just throwaway bad seasons. This is such an interesting conversation because there's no... I don't think there's a definitive yes or no, and here's exactly why. I was coming to Packers in 2004 and saw him play twice or three times, I believe, with the playoff game that year. And he was phenomenal. Off the charts. He was absolutely great. Moss, was Moss. I, I think, was in and out that year a little bit. But Dante Culpepper was an MVP candidate legitimately that year. I started covering the Vikings for the Star Tribune with Seifert in 2005. His offensive coordinator was gone. Um, the guy who was his offensive coordinator then was also asked to coach the offensive line which was ridiculous. Um, He definitely was not the same quarterback. He was not the leader that I expected him to be, which is also in fairness to Dante to say that I did cover Brett Favre, and so it went from Favre to Culpepper, which might not be a fair comparison. But if Dante Culpepper, I think, had had the right infrastructure with the right team, he could have been a star still. Not, Not now, but he could have been a star. And his career while certainly I don't think it would end in Canton by any means, was a career that would have had a much different arc if his knee doesn't blow up that day in Carolina. Uh, You have to keep in mind, too. So here's the weird thing with Dante. Dante, at some point in the 2000s, signed that, at the time, I believe, $100 million contract. Matthew, and it was, you know, oh my gosh, he's getting, well, it turned out to be worth like $12. It it was one of those (laughs) non-guaranteed, the Vikings got the best of that deal. Long story short, 2005 in training camp, on a Saturday, and I remember this vividly in Mankato, he disappears for a day, and Tice's whole thing was, oh, he's taking a personal day. He was holding out, all right? 2005 goes sideways, the team completely changes, Um, Moss is gone, which played a big role. And Dante, in 2005, to me, was not even close to being the same player. 2006, the expectation, when Childress, if you were to believe Brad Childress, and there's no reason not to believe him, when Brad Childress got the job in 2006, 
Brad Childress talks to this day about the fact that he thought he was inheriting a quarterback who was coming off a serious injury and a bad year, but was still a franchise quarterback. Yeah. And Childress's whole platform was that was going to be my guy. That's the whole thing that comes up then when Dante's like, uh, hey, I'm going to work out in Florida. And Childress went through that litany of I can see a uh, a strip mall. He was basically going to a fitness club to rehab a knee injury that was catastrophic. Hmm. It falls apart there. He gets traded for a second-round pick to the Dolphins. It doesn't work out there. He then bounces, I think, from the Dolphins to the Raiders to the Lions, something like that. So the answer to your question is, if the circumstances had been different for Dante, I think the career is different. I don't think it's a Hall of Fame career. But you got to remember, when he came along with that size and that athletic ability, that was a very different thing. Now you'd yeah. be like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see this. At that time, it was different. So so this is, to me, the Culpepper uh, conversation. And I was not a huge fan, but it's definitely a Shades of Grey conversation. It's not a, oh, I think he would have been fantastic, or no, he wasn't that good. I think when things were set up for him, in a way that was favorable, Dante Culpepper's athletic ability was really off the charts. Do you think that if it were today, if Dante Culpepper came into the league, as you mentioned, that they would have been much more willing to set up the offense exactly to what he did well? Because he has some great touch on his deep throws, and when he explodes in terms of running the ball, it's crazy to watch a man that large He's take it people. off. Yeah. Defenders yeah. were scared. You could see it on the game that I watched back. You could see it uh, right there with certain guys running away from him or not wanting to throw themselves in his body, which is extremely rare for a quarterback. He's one that you actually would have guessed, look at this guy's size. He will stay healthy, which really tells you in the Kyler Murray conversation that you know Russell Wilson is healthy his whole career. Dante Culpepper gets hurt. You never really know. It's right. not about how big you are or whatever else. Lamar Jackson was too skinny or something. It's, it's just random. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get hurt, sometimes you don't. But... In today's game, I think with the mindset of the younger offensive coordinators, especially that sort of have adopted what Andy Reid has passed down of working to your players' strengths and things like that, what Kyle Shanahan tries to do, uh, that's where I could have seen Dante Culpepper maybe having more success. In that time span, 15 years, offensive philosophy I think has changed quite a bit. So you would have had them using his legs effectively, but maybe designing more things that were easier for him to read or to handle, and then were mixed with deep shots. Because even look what the Vikings did with Kirk Cousins last year. They looked at him and said, all right, you can't run the offense that the Eagles were running with Nick Foles. That's just not who you are. You're not a guy who is an RPO quarterback or a quick screen quarterback. You need to have bootlegs. You need to be taking advantage of how well you throw the football down the field. Even the Saints, Drew Brees can't throw the ball farther than you can these days, and he's got 120 quarterback rating because Sean Payton has him throwing all these underneath passes, and he's just so good at executing them that with that, Culpepper, as as that transition from the early 2000s into later in his career, Culpepper might have seen more success if he never got hurt. Absolutely, yeah. And and keep in mind, too, he's drafted in 99 by Green. And Dennis Green was a really was really adept at identifying talent and offensively was a good coach. Yeah. So I think when Green drafted Culpepper, Denny at that time had a very good idea of exactly what, what he thought that Dante could do. And in some ways... 
Green was probably ahead of his time as far as being willing to adapt and adjust. But then he gets fired. It goes to Tice. Mm-hmm. Ty- Ticey, I loved him, but Ticey's thing was trying to make Moss happy and trying to keep people happy. But the answer to your question is if Dennis Green hadn't got fired, and, and let's say Dante gets drafted by the Vikings coming out of college, let's say in 1993 or something, I think his career is very successful. It's longer term. And Green was a guy who was willing to go in the direction the team's definitely going now, which is if you can do something, let's just do that, as opposed to yeah. these are my principles, we're going to run them. And and that that's where Dante ultimately m- might have been right about Childress, too. I don't think Childress had any interest in changing things. Yeah, I think Brad saw Dante as being his his franchise quarterback, but I don't think Brad said, I'm going to adjust to what Dante does well. And so if Dante had come back and played for Brad, I don't think that that's a surefire hit right there. I think that there could have been some problems. Also, the defenses for the years where Culpepper was the quarterback are just hilarious. 26th, 31st, oh, 31st. Oh, didn't think they were funny. Uh, two th- <laughs> 2003, they actually had a very good defense that year. That was when I think they would have gotten, would it have been um, some good players coming in at that point because they really took a big step forward. But for the most part, they only ranked in the top 15 one time while Culpepper was their quarterback. And that kind of says a lot, too, about his win-loss record and and why they didn't have more success. If you rank 31st in points allowed, you're going to struggle. Um, and they were giving up over 400 one year, and that's in 2002 when the scoring wasn't that great, the year from the game that we just talked about. So if you're scoring yeah, 400 points and still losing a, a lot, year. yeah, that that really shouldn't happen. So yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting career that he had, and he ends up being in, in sort of the annals of Vikings quarterbacks. This is really... I, I love this one. Yeah, but yeah. he's really kind of a blip, though. But where does he But rank, he's not. You know? but, he's not. He's right, not because he's look at the blips. Of, but that's how he's thought Right, of. right, but he shouldn't be because look at the blips. Favre is a blip. Yeah. You know, Favre's yeah. here one year, basically. 2010's a disaster. Uh, Joe Cap get, gets him to a Super Bowl, but is a blip. Yeah. The incredible thing, Matthew, is if you look back through... The list of Vikings quarterbacks right now. Here's my question. Is Dante Culpepper second to Tarkington? Now, Tommy Kramer, I loved yeah, him I as a kid. Kramer and Kramer probably... played here a, a long time. Um, so it might be it might go Tark Kramer Dante. But if you look at anyone who played here for four to five years, and Tark was Tark was here sixty one to sixty seven, and then came back in seventy two to seventy eight. But if you look at guys beyond Tarkington, Dante Culpepper is probably second or third. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And uh, Kramer has a fascinating career that's sort of, I love Tommy. you know, really, really good to start. And then he's got injuries and, and things like that and doesn't win a whole lot. Then has a, a pop-up year toward the end of his career. And then it goes back down the other side of the hill. And it was a, it's a wild ride with Tommy Kramer. But it's hard to say that he was better than Dante Culpepper, who had an MVP caliber season and Correct. would have won it if not for Peyton Manning and had two playoff wins for them. And also his first season is really incredible, too. That does say a lot about this team in terms of the uh, the, the quarterback history. You've got the Rich Gannon years that were also kind of a wild ride where sometimes he's the quarterback, sometimes he's not. Same with Wade Wilson. I mean, Warren Moon ends up on this list. Uh, if you're ranking all yeah, the Vikings quarterbacks of all time, Moon probably ends up, what, he's got a, a 10-6 and 6 
season, an eight and eight season. The ninety, the nineties. Look at the nineties. Really wild. Look at the nineties. Sean Salisbury plays. Rich Gannon plays. Jim McMahon. They trade with Houston for Moon. Randall Cunningham surfaces here. The nineties is incredible. It really is. Jeff yeah. George. It's it's funny because maybe two or three years from now we'll be saying like where does Cousins rank? Because if he wins another playoff game, then he's got to be better than Dante because Dante was so inconsistent. Yeah. It's the two great years. But if Cousins over the next, let's say he plays here for three years, I'm a little skeptical of it, whether that actually happens. But let's say he plays through his entire contract extension. He probably ends up as number two behind Fran Tarkenton if he wins one more playoff game. Because he's going to put up numbers. We know that. Yeah, he already does. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he does. And guess what? That is an indictment of Vikings quarterbacks <laughs> beyond is. belief. It definitely How can is. Fran Tarkington still be still be the guy that you speak of with a reverence because nobody else really approaches that? For a franchise that's been around now, I believe, if we play football in 2020, it's going to be the 60-year anniversary of the franchise. I know. Think it's about ins- that. It's really incredible. What do we say about Brad Johnson? Like in his Viking career, just wasn't really long enough to be considered for this twelfth round draft pick. I Se- does have a second, like a twelfth round fun. draft pick. He does. He he came back. Um, in, in fact, he succeeded Culpepper when Dante's knee blew out, and then was Childress' starter in two thousand six. Had no arm. Incredibly smart. I would say Brad Johnson. My if I were asked to define watching him play as a Viking, would be stability. He was a stable. He was not a flashy. QB, and he certainly would not make my list of top Vikings QBs, but he was a stable QB. And again, for I believe a 12th round draft pick, something like that. Um, 28 and 18 is a start. Pretty damn good. So here's how it goes for all time wins for Vikings quarterbacks. This is truly funny. So, Fran. Why do you keep calling it funny? (laughs) I was forced to watch this. It's actually great because (laughs) I love journeyman quarterbacks, and this is, it's almost like this franchise selected me from Buffalo. No, come here. This is where you'll find. You, you're used to Jim Kelly and a bunch of garbage. Yep. Now try this, though. A bunch of guys who were randomly great for a year, as all journeymen are. So Fran is number one with 91, obviously. Mm-hmm. Tommy Kramer is second, but a 54-56 and 56 record. Okay. Culpepper, 38-42 and 42 as a Viking. Again, like a 500 quarterback. This is, this is the argument for Brad Johnson. 28-18, fourth all-time winningest Viking quarterback. Think about that. Think about that. That's amazing. And then Wade Wilson, 27 and 21. Yeah. Yeah, Wade. Wade. Man, it's a. My time. So I, I started watching this franchise in 1978. Look at the quarterback since then. If you want to know why I'm a confused football fan, <laughs> you can figure it out very quickly. <laughs> Teddy Bridge- Tarkington was my last year. So yeah, or oh, my first, yeah, year first year was his last him. year. Yeah. And after that, it's basically. It's not been a gong show. It's been a wild ride. Teddy Bridgewater is not that far down on the list of all-time Viking quarterbacks in terms of wins. And he played here for two years. And one of them was his rookie year where he didn't even start the first game. (laughs) Yeah. That that really speaks to the inconsistency. So, yeah, I think that we're not actually that far off. Maybe two seasons away if Cousins plays at the same exact level from him being the second-best quarterback in Vikings history and half the fan base or more wants somebody else. So yeah, a second, I don't know. a second playoff win is correct though. He's got to get. Yeah. He's got to win. Yep. 
at least one, if not two more playoff games, I think. Speaking of which, uh, I did not get your thoughts yesterday or recently because it was just it just came out yesterday on seven teams now from the NFC in the playoffs, which is really, I'm sure, for Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer, exciting for two guys who definitely have the bar set at the playoffs. No matter what the roster looks like now, they made their own bed with that roster. And I'm sure that ownership at least is going to set the bar making the playoffs. And for Cousins, too, I I even wonder how this changes our standard for him because they get the sixth seed last year. Like, let's not look at last season like it was some huge, great, grand season of success. I hope not. The way they talked about it at the Combine, you would have thought so. But uh, last year, they go 10-6, and they get the wild card and win one playoff game. I mean, okay, good, but that's not what you expected when you signed Kirk Cousins. Correct. If they end up being a 7 seed and just barely sneaking in at 9-7, and I have a really tough time thinking... Nailed it. I mean, because your goals were just set. But the pressure so is huge higher. now, right? You have yeah. to make the playoffs. Now, oh yes, yes. Or I you're think so. for sure 100%. gone. You're all gone. Yeah, I. Uh, so, so the extra playoff teams don't bug me nearly as, as much as the prospect of the 17th game, which is coming, which is going to mean an 18th game. Yeah. So I'm actually far more in favor of an, another day of wild card or or an extra game now, which could be fun. As a football fan, I like that idea way more. The thing that I don't like is I don't like the addition eventually here that we're going to get of the 17th game, and that means there's going to be an 18th game, and that's too much. The extra playoff game... the CBA is like 10 years long, though. The the extra playoff game, I don't mind, but I will say... And I told Mackie this. The reason I don't mind it is because the lower portion of the playoff seeds now are such dregs to start off with. It's not like we look at the sixth team and say, well, you know what, that's a really good team, but thank God the seventh team didn't make it, right? We sort of look at those guys down there towards six and seven, five, six, and seven of late and say, they're not that good. So give me the extra game, that's fine. But it's when you're going to go to... I think it's within, what, three years that we're going to get game 17? Yeah. I hate that. There's nothing we could do about it. And then, no. That's the way I look at it is we're just, we're resigned to that fate. But I I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of it either. I don't need need more there on that end. The playoff end, I don't mind. But if you're the eighth seed now, you're going to have a lot of coaches who are going to be immediately dismissed. Yeah. Well, I also think, though, that we're going to see more coaches make the playoffs and be dismissed anyway. Because you be right. if you go eight and eight and you end up or the eight the eight, seven and one two thousand and eighteen team would have been in the playoffs. If next year mm-hmm. is the same as that year, mm-hmm. we're talking about a new front office, we're talking about a new head coach, I think. If they go eight, seven and one and even make the playoffs as a seven But what if they win that first playoff enough. game? Well, that's probably Which is what it. they did this year. No, you're right. That's Which probably could have made it. if they had lost to the Saints, are we sitting in these chairs right now talking about this team being coached by Zim? And I guess as an extension, is Spielman GM? Hmm. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say no because of the position that they put themselves in. But I don't know. I really, I've had a tough time this off season, and this comes from talking to people at Indy too, and even you know Courtney Cronin is co-hosting a couple times a week, which she's heard and everything else. Trying to put a finger on what ownership even thinks right now at this moment is hard because. You're right. We went into that that week in New Orleans thinking if they lose, we're going to be talking about a coaching search. And um, maybe 
There were all those rumors of Zimmer getting traded to Dallas. And then uh, they win. Mm-hmm. So that's off the table. You're not going to fire Zimmer after beating the Saints and upsetting them, and especially with the defensive performance that they put on to slow down Breeze and all that sort of stuff. But even then, a coin flip changes the entire narrative of that game. If the Saints win the coin flip and go down and score a touchdown, we are talking about, oh my gosh, you blew a 10-point fourth quarter lead. You you might be fired there, or you might be traded to Dallas there yep. at that moment. So it's amazing how much that changes. If they lose... The front office is a little bit harder to pin down, but I think you probably have tied them together, right? With Zimmer and Spielman, I'm not 100 percent sure. I though. think so, but I think the coach. I think if you lose that game to the Saints, I think the coach is gone for sure. Yeah, I think he's getting traded. That that did not come out of nowhere. That was a real thing. Yeah, and Jer- and and so Jerry hired McCarthy. How quickly then? That weekend, it was yeah, because it, it was pretty it clear. After but that. it's pretty yep. clear that those things yep. were. Uh, we're tied together. So I wonder about this year that if we're talking about making the seventh seed and not winning in the playoffs, if we end up with a coaching change anyway, if it ends up being a mediocre and frustrating season and people are getting on each other and so forth, you know, but it could go the very, analytics guys maybe yes. don't get along with the people that don't like them, as some people have written at scorenorth.com, our free website. Um, but, uh, you know, it could go the other way too, though, because if Zimmer pulls off a top 10 defense with a bunch of rookies and ragtag group and people they've developed over the last few years and the offense remains in the ballpark of top 10 despite trading away Stephon Diggs, they're going to go, we want to have this coaching staff for a really long time. I actually think it's not a bad idea, and I I don't know how the head coach feels about this, but I don't think it's a bad idea with him to go into the final season without a contract extension for him. Not that it changes much. If he signs a one-year extension, it's like, whatever, he's still not. Still I don't know he'd seat, care. But yeah, I mean, at this point in his career, someone else will hire him. Defensively, how convinced are you that he can take the group that it appears he's going to have and make it a legitimately good defense? Um, depends on your definition of legitimately good. What, you What's still the threshold have, do you think? Assuming you still have Harrison Smith, Daniil Hunter, Eric Hendricks, yep. right there is enough talent with those three players, the three of the best in the NFL. You have enough talent right there to be in the top 15. And that would be my expectation. If you can still put it, your team in the top half of the league in points against, yards against, you give your offense a chance to get you into the playoffs. And then it's on Kirk, and then it's on Coobs, and then it's on Thielen, and whoever that bleep is playing guard. Don't know yet. They don't the have any. tackle? Dalvin. That rich new contract yeah, expected. There, there are so many things to still be solved, which is why you should continue to download uh, the podcast version of Purple Daily if you missed anything, wherever you get your podcasts. You can leave a comment. You can leave a star rating. And if you uh, do draft sims, you can tweet them at me. All sorts of interactive fun. All right. Uh, well, this was a fun show today. Judd, I'm going to hand it over to you. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow with Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.